It's the True Penny Show with your host, James True Penny. Hello and welcome to the True Penny Show. My name is James True Penny. This is my show. And today we are back with Lucha Libre. We are celebrating 30 years of Triple Mania. I've watched at least six or seven of them. Um, and I've, I've watched the first one. And I've watched the last one. I haven't watched all 30. I've watched some corking ones down the years. But Triple Mania is the event we try and cover every year. It's our annual shot of lucha, if you will, where we probably go quite in-depth with stuff. And to join me again this year's show is Mr. John Dinsdale. How are you, sir? Pretty good. I love me a good dose of Triple triple A. And Triple Mania is often either an exciting-as-hell show or the biggest meme of the wrestling world. So think we got a bit of both this year yeah hugely the i mean i think there was a real upswing in interest in the after the dr wagner um losing his mask i can't remember he wrestled that shows you how well like dr wagner lost his mask and came out as a bigger star because of it. <laughs> it wasn't wrestling was it oh it was um no i can't remember who was wrestling i'll be honest but yeah that's the kind of thing that happens wow. So it was, it, was, it, was, it was Psycho Clown, it was Psycho Clown, that was it. Yeah, he wrestled Psycho Clown, and he lost his mask three years, four years ago. It was the first time they'd done it on YouTube, and it was a massive, massive hit, and um, it really did an awful lot for the high profile of the company. Um, but it's 30 years of AAA, really, a bit longer than 30 years of AAA, and Wrestle Triple Mania, I should just go and stop this off and do that. Triple Mania has always been about more about the pageantry and the big blow off than anything else. And this particular show certainly started with some pageantry of the, I think it was the 140th Regiment Band of the Mexican Army came out to do a, um, what's the word, an overture of all the wrestlers' themes from down the years, uh, including people who were wrestling on this particular show. Uh, that was kind of cool. I liked that. There was the marching band as well. Um, they welcomed um, the Penner family. Um, of course, Antonio Penner, the original Booker, whose um, ashes always appear at every Triple Mania uh, with his sister, Marcelia Penner. And um, it was, it was as, as big an entrance as you possibly could have. There was also... Um, the announcement of the Hall of Fame for AAA, which is a bit different to tri- Hall of Fames elsewhere, you basically have to die on the job, <laughs> which sounds a bit wrong, but it's true. You have to have made your contribution to the company um, and you were only allowed in after your death. Um, and this well, year's... Like a mausoleum indu- of fame than a Hall of Fame. Yes, it's true. And this year's uh, inductee was, of course... Uh, Arturo Rudos Riviera, who we'll talk about later because he was inducted to work with his family later on, um, which made me quite sad because I didn't know he'd passed away and he was a big part of my wrestling fandom in my youth. So we'll talk about him later. Um, then we had a message from Rey Mysterio. Um, WWE allowed him to record something on his iPad clearly and he sent it down to celebrate Triple Mania, which was nice of WWE. You didn't have to do those things. Occasionally, they do the odd classy thing. Not very often, but occasionally. (laughs) Um, It's not as bad as like New Japan currently trying to negotiate to get Carl Anderson back for one match, but here we are. Anywho, (laughs) um, 
Uh, then we got into the wrestling show itself. Uh, there was two matches that happened all before this with dark matches. Arcano, Ellen Gasso, Gran Mazo, and Picardo Lital defeated three people that no one knew about and held Furioso. That was one of the dark matches. This is according to Cage Match. Uh, and then in a Copa Barjal match, Taurus defeated Aerostar, Chessman, Electroshock, Flip Gordon, Jack Evans, Jesse Ventura, not that Jesse Ventura, La Diva Salvage, Lady Shani, Microman, Mr. Meguana, Nino Hamburgeressa, and Sexy Star. Um, yes. So that happened. Um, we actually opened the show with the AAA World Tag Team Championship number one contenders four-way match. Hermanas Lee, Dragon Lee, and Draculistico defeated Los Vipers, Latigo, and Toxin. Uh, Arez and Willie Mack as well. And then also Commander and Mistyez Jr. in nine minutes. In a match that was kind of all over the place. It, a bunch of stuff happened. It's kind of an odd place that the AAA Tag Team Championship is in at the moment because obviously it's around the waist of FTR who have not wrestled in Mexico yet, as far as I can tell, or maybe once or twice. But they're kind of like shooting for the moon. Though Dragon Lee and Dracolistico versus FTR does sound like a bit of a corker. Um, Though there are other teams in this particular match I thought would go with FTR quite well. Um, there was post-match shenanigans involving a sponsor. We'll talk about that shortly. But also, Tinevarez, the legendary heel Rudos referee, was the referee for this match and amazingly called it straight down the middle, which I don't think I've seen him do in 30 years. Uh, he's turning over a new leaf, clearly. Your thoughts on this one, John? It just felt like being generous for one show. He's like, all right, I did this <laughs> one show where I, I do it cleanly, and then it's back to my <laughs> evil ways. Basically, yeah. The only time he ever really goes against Rudos is I I, I remember very clearly um, the I can't remember the Rudos team, but I think it was Jerry Estrada and Jerry Estrada, La Parker, and I want to say Heavy Metal when he was a heel. It might have been one of the, the things that made him became a, a, a Technicos. Um, heavy Metal accidentally kicked um, Tinebrez in the family jewels, shall we say, and he instantly disqualified them <laughs> for obvious reasons. Um, uh, and that, that was the only time I ever saw him ever do any any disqualify a Rudos team. But yeah, he's he is part of the furniture of AAA. It's nice that he's still having a run out and uh, having some matches in. Um, and uh, the referees were sponsored by a car insurance firm, which will become pertinent at the end of this match and much later on that's foreshadowing for you john your thoughts yeah i, I love like car crash matches like this we go from the willie mcanera dance number to lost vipers being dickheads to commander and mr Z's <laughs> jr just trying to steal the show with like their aerialism and then hermanos lee just sort of keeping things going it's like, we know we're winning this, but we've got to make sure everyone does their bit. And yeah, it's just the sort of perfect opening match fodder. So I, I would yeah. really want to see Lost Vipers versus FTR, because FTR do great against dickhead teams, and Latigo and Toxin have got that down pat. Yeah, I agree with you. I thought they would actually probably be the, and also as the long-standing tag team, kind of dominant team in the AAA tag division, they would be the perfect guys to go against FTR as well. 
not that there's any knock on Dragon Lean, Realistico, or any of the other teams in this match, but it seemed to me like, hmm, this might not be the right choice. But then again, American fans are more likely to know who Dragon Lee is because of his time in Ring of Honor and New Japan. So it's. Mm, sure but I understand. Toxin just did an indie tour. I know Toxin definitely did. He was on a few I know, but I was talking about mainstream North American audience, not necessarily a wrestling fan audience, though that isn't necessarily. It's like, oh, casual fan is such an odd phrase these days because it's like, yeah, but everyone has it Wikipedia. Really exists. <laughs> No, it doesn't. Like, you know, the internet wrestling community. So you mean anyone with a phone? Um, but yeah, it's... Um, Even people who just watch it on TV, though, like, it's gone from, like, casual days because most of... A lot of that sort of audience are the sort of super tribal protective people. Where it's like, I only watch this one show on TV every week and I will defend it to the death. Fuck you, AWR. Fuck you, WWE. It's just like, can you really call those people casual fans anymore if they're that attached to it? No, I think that's the trouble. I think as well as like the, the, the casual fans don't watch wrestling. There, there are no casual fans. You have to make an effort because no wrestler crosses over to a mainstream audience in the way they used to. John Cena was the last guy who truly crossed over to a mainstream audience. Um, but the way like Austin, The Rock and Hogan, Savage, those guys crossed over to a mainstream audience, that did mean you had casual fans. Casual fans only really existed from the early 80s up until the late 90s. And then after that, wrestling Maybe fans have gone out to seek... Sorry? Maybe Xavier Woods. He might be yeah, maybe. He might be one of the few people I can see because of his like up, up, down, down stuff. Like, yeah, it might I, not be even then, the mainstream of the mainstream, but it's a YouTube no. gaming audience, which is massive. It's massive, but it's not like mums and dads and grandparents, too, kind of wrestling for everyone that the Hogan era was, or even to a certain extent, the Attitude era was. Um, but it, you just don't get that audience anymore. And why would you? Because wrestling has, WWE specifically, has like, shied away from making crossover stars because they know if they make a crossover star that crossover star will go to hollywood and make more money than they could ever imagine and they can't control him and that's not what wwe is about <laughs> probably why roman reigns has never dropped that belt um I, undoubtedly um and i think they were probably quite happy that becky lynch got pregnant to be honest with you i mean happy obviously for her motherhood but also happy the fact that she wouldn't be going to Hollywood. She'd been remained to be in wrestling because if she was pregnant, she'd come back from wrestling. She'd come back to that to wrestle. Um, but it, it's noticeable that, you know, that's your banks. <laughs> <laughs> I say, I don't need you anymore. Bye. And she's not even like, she was, a, she is becoming a crossover star, but she wasn't as big a star as, as she could have been. Anywho, let's get back to Triple A. Uh, but yes, um, yeah, this fight match was fine. The cage match users give it four stars. Um, no, they didn't. Dave Meltzer give it four stars. The cage match users give it 6.73 stars, which further shows you Meltzer leaving the herd, I suppose. But this was this was not bad. It was thoroughly enjoyable. And like you said, I think it was a great way to grab the attention of the audience. I just love any excuse to see Ares, Willie Mack, and Bloody Commander. They're all awesome. <laughs> 
All right, then. The actual cage match order is wrong. <laughs> the next match on the show was actually Taya Valkyrie versus Camille uh, for the AAA Arenas de Arenas Championship, the women's title in AAA. In a street fight, no DQ, no, no count out between Taya Valkyrie and the current NWA women's heavyweight champion, Camille. This was not the best I've seen out of either of them, to be honest. There seems to be a bit of a... How can I put it? It it wasn't awful. It was watchable. But it seemed to me like they kind of got a bunch of planned spots and were struggling to get from one to the next instead of having a match that flowed and would probably have been better off not having a street fight. If they just had a straight this match, I think it would be far more watchable. Match, Sorry? It, this wasn't Camille wasn't the original opponent, was she? I can't remember who was, no. but she got drafted in as a replacement and it feels like they never quite had enough time to get everything put down. Yeah, it, 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 there's no, there's nothing wrong with this match, but there's not a lot of it that flows nicely like a great wrestling match should, and, or even a good wrestling match should. They're both capable professional wrestlers in the style that they wrestle. Tay is more experienced, has a bit more presence, and is a better performer, but Camille is incredible for the amount of time she spent in the business and has been put in a lofty position um, and she's handled it brilliantly. And she's had some great matches. She had the match with uh, Kylie King earlier this year. That was great. She's had some great matches as NWA Women's Champion. But this just didn't click the way it should. And I'm not sure what was wrong with it. It just seemed a bit lumpy. It was, it was, it was all right. It's, it, it sort of falls under the street fight banner, doesn't it? Because usually with street fights, it's either. They managed to strike that balance between it being like rough and ready whilst still maintaining the fact it's a wrestling match. And sometimes it just devolves into what is essentially a mess. And this fell more into the mess side of things just because, <laughs> as you said, they were scrambling from one spot to the next. There wasn't so much of a flow as you'd want from a, a match. Yeah, I think if they just had a regular match. It would Maybe. Have been fine. It's like, yeah. It's not to knock either of them because Camille's got a fucking presence. Like, she is intimidating as hell. And to make, like, Taya look small, that's quite an achievement. Yeah. And then, yeah. It, there it, was something it, off. Yeah, it, was, it, it wasn't bad. But I think as well, it's like, why are you two having a street fight when you when she's only just dropped into this match and the, you've had no time to gain any heat? And. You know, the crowd were into it because they love Tyre. Oh, my God, do they love Tyre. So, and with her bleeding, I think possibly that could have been like, you know, hey, high expectations. They were expecting something different, so we kind of got to match those expectations kind of thing. That could have been something to do with it as well. The fact that Flama broke up a pin by throwing a beer over Tyre. <laughs> like that—that that is one of the most unique pin breakup spots I've seen, and I don't—I'm surprised I haven't seen it more often. It's just like, it, oh wait, yeah. I can just throw something over. I don't even have to get in the ring. No, um, Ares as well coming in to intimidate Camille, only for her to duck and him to take out fl uh, Flammer. That was good. I like that. That was funny. <laughs> <laughs> like, this match uh, has so many great moments. It's just—it's got some continuity issues. It's yes. there's some really high impact moments and like ni it's neither woman's fault. It just the matches are tad disjointed. Yeah, I think that's the trouble. 
Um, yeah, nothing wrong. With, I don't like to do down matches because it's like it's, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just something could be better. Anyway, we move on. It was a trio's next match, title match, wasn't it? Next. Um, in the, we had the AAA World Trios Championship where Brian oh, Cage. Oh, we to talk about the post-match bullshit with the. Oh, we did. Yes, match. the. Yeah, uh, we'll go back to the uh, number one contenders match for the AAA Tag Team Championship. Yes, um, there was this Triple <laughs> A on their bullshit again, which we quite rightly say. But the whole show was sponsored by a car insurance company. So after the title match, a bunch of um, cuddly toys of the, the insurance company's mascot, who's a kindly elder gentleman, um, and all of these kindly elder gentlemen popped up around the arena to dance with Willie Mack, who was a massive dance star in AAA. For, for those of you who have not seen AAA TV recently, uh, me included, it was kind of like amazing how Willie Mack is far more over with his actions of his dancing than he is with his wrestling. And the Mexican fans love him for him. He got the biggest pop of his nights for one hip swivel. It was bigger than some of the legends of Lucha did, to be honest with you. Was it after that match that Lost Vipers attacked Conan? Or was that after the... That was after the... I remember which. I think it was after the women's match, wasn't it? I think. Yeah, because like, the entirety of Lost Vipers, which is like Latigo, Toxin, Cybernetico, and... The Bismar Negro Jr.? Yes. There was another yeah. one, but I couldn't recognise. No, I think that was just Latigo in a different costume. But yeah. They all just sort of stomped out Conan. We may as well talk about that now. Yes, Conan has been having uh, an ongoing feud with Cybernetico and Los Vipers. Cybernetico is an on again, off again star for AAA. He's been, he was top heel in the early 2000s. He was top Rudos in the early 2000s. He had an absolutely epic feud with LA Park or La Parker as he was then which blew off in one of the most violent mask versus mask match, mask versus mask matches I've ever seen. Um, and it's well worth the watch. I think that was Triple Mania 12, I think. Um, but yeah, and so he's he's come back to AAA this year or has kind of been pushed forward in AAA this year as the leader of this epic faction, which kind of like leads to the hair versus hair match we have later on in the show. But um, Conan, who is currently a Rudos, uh, sorry, a Technicos again, <laughs> as he flips back and forth on a fortnightly basis, um, is currently a Technicos again, and was um, the, the whole for the whole focus of the feud has been the fact that Cybernetico feels he's been hard done by. He doesn't get the same kind of Rudos uh, as Conan or Vampiro or any of the other great AAA wrestlers from down the years. He doesn't get that kind of respect. And now in the twilight of his career, he's trying to dominate everybody to show that he's just as good and just as capable a drawer as they were, which he, he was as a Rudos, I suppose, in Mexico, but he's never going to have the same kind of cultural cachet that the other guys have. So it's an interesting kind of storyline angle, and it kind of plays very much on Lucha heritage and AAA history, which is kind of nice. Um, shall we get on with this? Sorry, you going to say anything, John? It also leads to him just stomping the shit out of Conan, because why not? In fact, Indeed. the whole crew just stomps the shit out of Conan. 
Yeah, well, I mean, they got away, Cohen got away with Lightly earlier in the year. They split him open. So, anywho. But back to where we was, yes. The Triple Trios World Tag Team Championship match. The current champions, Nuevo Generacion Dinamate, El Cotaro, Forestaro, and Sanson, uh, lost. But didn't lose the championship, which is about the most triple A thing ever. Uh, and Bandido, the Radio Kid, and Psycho Clown lost to Brain Cage, Johnny Caballero, guess who that is, and Sam Adonis. Oh, this is going to take some explaining. Right then. <laughs> Do you remember, John, three or four years ago before AEW existed? Yes. Yes. See, back then, Brian Cage was the top foreign Rudos in AAA, and he had this Mexican-hating, Trump-aligned character, which wasn't far from his own personal thoughts, about uh, how uh, Mexicans were using the United States of America and, um, you know, it, it, was, it was just hate-filled racist rhetoric. And Sam Adonis had this character in CMLL where he, he hated uh, Mexicans and they would, it was just it was in a Trumpian manner and, and it was just like absolutely, you know, racist rhetoric. And Brian Cage had a go at Sam Adonis for copying his character. And pretty much Sam Adonis did copy his character Block, Stock and Barrel. Um, and then, of course, we come to four years later and Sam Adonis has been signed by Triple A, so now he's tagging with Brian Cage, even though in real life they've had many an argument in the past. <laughs> I, I swear this group was a massive part of last year's Triple Mania as well. Um, I'm not sure Sam was there then. Was, it, was Brian there or was Sam there? It was just Sam, I think. I don't know if Brian yeah. was there. No, no, because Brian yeah. Cage was doing the Marvel stuff, wasn't he? Yeah, he was, yeah. Um, Johnny Caballero, who is, of course, Johnny Morrison, who has to have a different second name for every promotion he's in. Um, it doesn't um, seem like a fit for this group, does he? No, he just... not at all, in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> he's just there vibing for this match. Like he's, They've just brought him there because he's like, oh, shit, we need another another, like, person for this team uh bollocks who do we have oh we've got johnny we've got johnny caballero he's he's yeah, but he american doesn't hit mexico does he no but we can still put him in there yes we 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 need some we need a free market uh classical liberal and johnny 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 morrison will be the perfect person for that bit oh they on um I love Nuevo Generacion Dinamante because I love the original Dinamante team <laughs> who were a big part of the first uh, Triple Mania. The first Triple Mania was Cian Caras versus Conan in a loser must retire match, which Cian Caras won. Um, obviously, Conan didn't retire. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's, this was all right. Bandido, I'm slightly confused as to why Bandido, Rito Kid, and Psycho Clown ended up losing this match because, like, they're easily the three biggest rising stars in, in, in this particular match. Um, but yeah, uh, but, uh, but again, like I said, the only way to win the championship was to pin the champions. So therefore, the team that won pinned the team that wasn't champions. They pinned Laredo Kid, which made no sense whatsoever. So again, is about the most AAA thing you can imagine. It wouldn't be AAA without like a triple menu without some contrived bullshit. And this match and the next <laughs> match kind of make up the contrived bullshit section, but at least 
at least there was some really fun like lucha action before we got to the bullshit decision. <laughs> yeah. How does Brian Cage have better music in AAA, by the way, than any other company? Like, I, I know you have pretty much the same music everywhere, but for some reason it just sounded so much better on this show than it has done in, like, AW. And, like, I don't blame indie shows because they have to use venue sound systems, but, like, this was the best Brian Cage theme I've heard. To be fair, this, this, the the sound on this show was not great, and that was did the, but the actual theme tunes did sound amazing because like Johnny Caballero had a guitarist who sang him out to start off with, and they'd not mic'd him up properly at all, and it sounded dreadful. Um, but the actual like the, the piped in music sounded great on this show. In fact, just pre- sure. team were amazing for this show. I still yeah. don't. I never saw a nameplate for any of them. Which sucks because my god, do they deserve all the credit in the world? They like I watched the like traditional commentary side, the Spanish announced here team, and it was just incredible. Like they were so just, high energy, and I I loved um, the way they say brutal, brutal. brutal. <laughs> it's amazing. He's, he was the it was uh, Hugo Savanovich um, was the main lead commentator, who is absolutely a wrestling legend former lead commentator for WWE and for um, WWC. He did the Spanish and English commentary for WWC. He was that good. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, Hugo Stefanovic is just an artiste uh, when it comes to commentary. Um, the, the English commentary was um, Barry Dallas and Joe... Who was the other guy? <laughs> Triple A English commentary. I'm not sure because it's normally like cage match tells you commentators and they haven't got it this time. No, uh, Joe Dombrowski, that was it. Um, Dombrowski is all right, but needs to stop shouting. He does Larry Dall- MLW commentary, so I'm familiar yeah. with him. Uh, Larry Dallas needs to stop saying shades of in every sentence. This is and this is entirely the fault of AEW commentary who use shades of in every sentence because every time they see somebody do something in the past, because Jim Ross used to do it. Are <laughs> you saying that the AAA English commentary was shades of AEW commentary? Indeed it was. It was entirely shades of AEW commentary and it is just like it, it, it was listenable. It wasn't the worst I've ever heard. Um, but it is just... It, it, it's, I was too busy yeah. having fun listening to the hyperactive Spanish <laughs> Like, Yeah. They breathe so much life. Unbelievable. Like, Yeah, that's it. They make the show go, especially when there's stuff that's not particularly quickly moving. You know, this show is about pageantry. I think we said last year, um, there was something like 12 matches on last year's show, and it all slogged. Whereas this year, they cut the number of matches down, which is great because it meant they all had time to breathe. But it did mean there was a lot of slog to get through (laughs) and the commentators kept it moving. I still can't believe Psycho Clown, Bandido and Laredo Kid lost this match. No, I'm, I'm... Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen Psycho Clown lose 
on they a didn't lose, though, football. did they? This, yeah. But, well, he's like, he was on the losing team, but he didn't lose. He wasn't pinned, was he? I suppose not. Shall we move on to one of these triple main events, which is uh, the hair versus hair match, Pagano versus Cybernetico, which unsurprisingly Pagano won in 21 minutes and 43 seconds. This was a full-on death match, the whole nine yards. Um, and actually, we talk about the ratings before we talk about well, I just, the match. Yeah, I, I was going to say the most unfair thing on the planet. Um, Twenty-five people have voted for it on Cage Match, and it's reached the heady heights of three point nine six. And Meltzer gave it one star. And Which is I can bullshit. I can see. I don't think it was that bad. I thought it was watchable. I didn't think it was dire. Um, I don't think it was great either because, you know, Cybernetico has had lived a hard, hard life. And if you saw Cybernetico in the late 90s and you see Cybernetico down, you will see that he is about half the size. And, well, during a stretch from around about 1994 to around about 2004, his body never changed one inch, which is a telltale sign that he made one, two trip to the one too many trips to the pharmacy. <laughs> so I'm guessing that his body isn't particularly great for this particular environment. Having said that, Pagano did carry him through most of this match and he did do all right. Uh, but John will have a different take on this, being a deathmatch specialist. Is that I have this... Like, Pagano is one of those wrestlers who I just love because he is one of the single most reckless wrestlers on the planet. He is great at what he does, but at the same time, most of his matches will have at least one fuck-up in them, and you'll never quite know if it was planned or not. Like, there's even in this match, there's he botches dives, and you're just like, did he do this intentionally to make a weakness for Cybernetico to attack? Not that he needed that, considering most of this match was a four-on-one fight. Because <laughs> every time Cybernetico is losing it, it's just Abismo, Negro, Junior, Latigo, and Toxin just all rush in to kick down the clown again. But, oh man, oh man. I, I understand that this is a weird match. Like, when people were watching AAA, uh, Triple Mania Live, I can't remember who it was, but someone was like, Pagano versus Cybernetico is such a weird match. And I'd sort of asked them, weird good or weird bad? And they literally replied, just weird. And I see exactly <laughs> where they're coming from. Yeah, I mean, it had some creative bits or bits they borrowed from other places, which was nice. The, there is a run-in, obviously. Has to be a run-in. And the run-in comes from uh, Conan, who gets beaten down. But after Abismo Negro, Latigo and Toxin, uh, they, get, they beat down Conan. And then um, here comes sorry. the real save, yeah. Yes, and to the to, to the various... last night, as of last night, the new XPW champion. Oh, we're not going to talk about XPW because really, they don't deserve the attention. My, my my Twitter feed has been a fucking gold mine since I woke up because it has, but oh it, it has, but it. God. It shouldn't be because you shouldn't give them the top. You shouldn't give them the oxygen. This is one of those cases I, where I'm just saying, just don't, don't encourage them. <laughs> I'm not see. I've seen maybe two or three people celebrate, and everyone else is just like, "What the fuck is this? Why is this happening?" Oh, and it it, it sucks because there are people on these shows that I genuinely love and matches that I genuinely want to watch, but I'm never giving that company money. 
No, well, it's, it's Rob Black, isn't it? And uh, there's enough said there. Anyway, uh, let's move back to this match. So, um, Tina Brea's junior. Can I finish? Just because <laughs> I, I never said. Yeah, I know, bro. Yeah, I got to that bit. You interrupted me before I had a chance to tell you what happened. Because <laughs> I had to get that tidbit in to tease people. Tinaveres Jr., who was refereeing the match, got knocked out by a, a stack of light juice from Pagano accidentally. Um, and then um, the chaos ensued. And then, of course, who came down to save was Vampiro, who was still apparently a licensed referee from the last time these two wrestled. They ended wrestling up the ramp, and then they got to the staging they area. Music with... too. Yeah, they played his music too. So everyone knew it was definitely who it was. <laughs> thought you wouldn't recognize that red dye quiff anywhere else anyway um once they got back up the the ramps they ended up climbing a ladder um which was a bit weird as uh um oh yeah there was interference from um charlie manson as well who came to hold the ladder for him and Vampiro held the ladder while he faffed about on top of the ladder and then Sabanetico and Pagano ended up in a heap as they went through a hole in the stage a la Bam Bam Bigelow and Taz um, in ECW in 1996 which was also copied by Terry Taylor in WWE <laughs> um, but yeah, so it, it's it's an old trick, but it's been not been done in a very long time. And of course, Vampiro counts the pinfall, so we don't know who won until they finally drag Pagano out the hole and they play his music. But they played his music slightly early, so it kind of ruined the surprise. But it was, it was like a really good idea, just slightly off on execution. I think that's probably what caused it the one-star review, to be honest with you. But I know you enjoyed it more I than I did. And I didn't I didn't disenjoy it. Go on, John. I'm just purposely trying to make this review of this match as chaotic as the match itself at this point, it seems. Oh, God. I, I cracked up when Vampiro came out, because I was just like, of course, this is the match Vampiro's involved with. <laughs> and it's just, oh, I I loved this. And I, I don't know why. It, it's, it's messy. It's slow. It's gory. Like, Pagano loses his clown makeup instantly to blood. And it's just, there's something so enjoyable about the sheer, like, unbridled madness of it. It is a dumb match, but it is dumb enjoyable. And every Triple Mania has to have the dumb enjoyable match where everything goes wrong or <laughs> everything is weird. And this was the one. And it just so happened to feature one of my favorite, like, Mexican wrestlers. So it gets a pass from me. <laughs> you're about the only person that did give it a pass i don't think it was terrible i i wouldn't want to watch it again not because of the gore which just took far too long like 21 minutes and 43 seconds this could be over in 10 and done an awful lot more very quickly um but well, yes the one star match no i don't think it's like, a one star I match like, but... i attribute one star matches to people who just don't wrestle like this match oh. has wrestling in it Oh yeah, it, it, no, but it even it even has like submission holds and stuff. There's, there's chain wrestling in this match as well. It's not just like a, a goal fest. So I think I save one stars for things like IWA Deep South and things like that, where it's it's mostly just stabbings and races. True. It's, it's like that's where the that's where the one stars live. Stabbings, stabbings and racism. IWA Mid South, stabbings and racism. 
Um, let's move on, though. We then did have the Hall of Fame ceremony for Arturo Rivera. Um, like I said, I was really sad to find out that he passed away. There was a cool video tribute of him. He was, of course, the most annoying man in Mexican television history, as he was a Rudos who just cheered the Rudos on all the time. And when the Rudos won, he would shout, Rudos, 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 every time they got a pinfall, which grated after a while. However, he was kind of the equivalent of Bobby Heenan uh, for North American fans. He was a big part of the product right up until this year. Um, and the fans loved him because, you know, even though he was a Rudos, they still knew what he was, knew he was his worth. So it's very sad to see him pass away. Also inducted was Blue Panther, who was never a AAA wrestler. He mostly retired before AAA came into existence. But Blue Panther Jr. has been a AAA guy on and off for the last 20 years or so. And they inducted on the 100th anniversary of Blue Panther, arguably the second most famous luchador of all time, behind El Santo, obviously. It was... They had a, always had a natural rivalry in the ring because they did all these films together. Um, it was nice of them to do that because they didn't have to do that. And um, Blue Panther is, is still kind of a big part of uh, Mexican wrestling tradition and lucha tradition. Have you anything to say about those two, John? Not really. Like, I, I respect the traditions. I respect the fact that, like, both have legacies that deserve to be honoured. But I'm not as familiar with them as you are so i feel like yeah it's best to just let you take the reins here okay then well let's move on to a double main event of epic proportions the triple a mega championship has been held by el hijo del vikingo uh for a long time now um and he's had a a scientific feud with ray phoenix a rivalry if you will over really who is the best aerial wrestler in Lucha Libre today. And that's really what this match was about because this was literally the definition of a spot fest match. It just happened to be the best spot fest match you will ever see. And the story was that it was going to be a spot fest match and there was loads of spots, a festival of spots, if you will, which to the purist may not sound like much fun, but to a luchador, lucha fan, it's very much fun. And this match was very much fun generally. Um, and it was a spot fest. I can't get away from the fact it was a spot fest. It was 19 minutes and 27 seconds of I can do better than you can do. And it was one spot after the other. There was barely any story told about it, but that was the point. <laughs> and that's why it got 8.8 .8 stars. And that's why, sorry, uh, five, five stars and eight from Dave Meltzer and 8.8 .8 from the cage match users. This match was more or less perfect for what they were trying to achieve, in my opinion. John may have a different opinion, though, but I'm thinking he's going to like it. I was going to say, no, full five-star spot fest, amazing. Like, as soon as I saw El Hijo del Vikingo versus Ray Phoenix, I was like, well, this is probably the best match of the night, and I wasn't wrong. In terms of just sheer athleticism, like pacing, breakneck action, just everything about it was perfect. Like, as you said, they went in there with one intent increasingly breakneck spots and they did that without stopping i don't think that goes human but he could he could just say oh yeah <laughs> I'm believe him because the amount of shit he does the complete lack of thought of any aerial resistance from him 
it's just insane. Like, everyone's like, oh, it's just flippy shit. You look at Vikingo, and you tell me that isn't impressive. Like, you go try and do that. You'll break your neck instantly. And, like, Ray Phoenix, again, has been the best for years. And, yeah, I said, two best aerialists, two best spot guys in a match, all about spots for just under 20 minutes. Perfect. Yeah, no, this is it. It is just, like, it's a Lucha Libre match. I think this is, like, um, how can I put this? Um, Oh, poor Horseman's manager. Can't remember his name. Used to be a booker for WWE. Oh, oh God. My memory's getting so bad these days. Well, husband manager. Manager. JJ Dillon. Of course it was. JJ Dillon, when he was working for WWE, said to Rey Mysterio Jr. about six years into his tenure, he said, when you signed with us, you were a luchador, but now you're a wrestler. And he said, I don't mean that as an insult to luchadors. He said, but there is a different style wrestling in Mexico compared to wrestling in North America. And he, he's right. This is the most luchador match you could possibly have. Okay, both of these two guys are well-versed. Raymond Phoenix has obviously spent an awful lot of time between Lucha Underground, Impact Wrestling, and AEW on the American circuit. He is a wrestler's wrestler, and he can work any style and make, will make his style work in any environment. But El, Vinca, El Hijo de Vikingo is, is a luchador, a purebred luchador, and... and to be fair, Phoenix is a purebred luchador as well. And the fact that they can just go effortlessly flow, I have not seen anything like this for a very, very long time. And, you know, it's, you could go back to like the, the Joshi days of the 90s where matches flowed like this. Okay, but it's, you know, we're talking 30 years ago now since anyone flowed with this level of creativity, with this level of athleticism. And, it does strike me, why isn't Phoenix a bigger star than he is in North America? I know it's because, you know, he doesn't speak English as his first language, which is obviously going to be one thing. But it does strike me as the fact, and we're going to probably say the same thing about Pentagon as well, <laughs> is the fact that they've got so much character and they've got so much presence. And Vikingo is as well. And it's like, I know he's done some stuff in North America, but... You know, if he defended that mega championship on a, on an AEW show, he'd he'd have people glued. You know, he would be. You might end up the, seeing that soon now because he's acquired his US workers visa. Yeah, true. That was the only so, thing stopping Vikingo was visa issues, and apparently that's been solved. Maybe he gets a shot with AEW or Impact Wrestling. I would think probably AEW because they'll want him. They'll understand his presence a bit more. I would think. Um, also, Impact seemed to have taken leave of their senses this week. Uh, but that's that's a... <laughs> Juice Robinson losing to Bully Ray. On who was on drugs that week? Really, what what were you hey, thinking? I think that happened. That was that was on Impact this week. You know, uh, Juice Robinson, former UIWGP two-time IWGP US Heavyweight Champion, who this year has beaten Will Ospreay, John Moxley, um, David Finlay. And uh, run John Moxley to the wire in an AEW World Championship match in the main event. Lost to a 45-year-old semi-retired wrestler on impact. Because that's believable. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh. I guess Juice, had, Juice wasn't rock hard that day. No, I don't understand what's happening. I don't understand why Bully Ray's on television anymore. I thought he was quite happily doing minor things in the NWA and getting younger guys over. But no, of course, it can never not just be about him, can it? Anyway, moving on. Well, let's not moan too much because this show was great and it was well worth the watch. We, of course, move on to a main event of Pentagon Jr. defeating Villano for in a mask versus match in the final of the Ruelta de la Muerte tournament. For those of you who have not been familiar with this particular tournament, it was a loser stays on tournament because it was mask versus mask. So the finals would all, it would be a mask versus mask match, but to get to the final, you had to lose your previous two rounds, um, which is an intriguing way of booking something. But of course you can't like have the winners losing their masks. That doesn't make any sense. Um, and it's kind of like there's a CMLL run a very similar tournament, but you have to win to get through to the final and then put your mask on the line, which makes less sense. <laughs> At least there was a kind of like a vibe about this, like you're main eventing the biggest show in the company's history, but you've lost three matches in a row to get here, which is a bit weird. Um, and, you know, we did mention that Serbinetico was a little bit broken down. Villano 4 is in his late 50s. Late 50s, 57 years old, and he just had a four and a half star match, according to Dave Meltzer. 8.44 match from the cage match users. A lot of that was Pentagon, but an awful lot of it was Volano 4, which goes to show how to use your veterans especially well and to use them in the right way in the right circumstances. Um, if you listen to our show last week, of course, we were looking at UWA. UWA was a company that founded by Volano's force father. Uh, in Ray Mendoza, um, and Ray Mendoza Jr. was in this match, standing in the corner of Milano 4. Um, and this match was emotional, it was breathtaking, it proved how great Pentagon Jr. can be, a very much deserved main event from him, and an emotional story told implacably well. And this was just great. You can't really, I'm not saying it's my match of the year, but it's not far off, because this is what the main event of the biggest show of your, your year should look like. It should look like two major stars in a match where something important has happened. And the important thing that happened was Delano and the uh, family of um, the family of the Villanos passing the torch on really to Octagon in such a very public and emotional way. What's your thoughts on this, John? Because this match was very special. I've always said when we cover Lucha shows that like the most important thing aren't titles, it's your hair and it's your mask. So whenever you see a hair versus hair or a mask versus mask match, people are going to fight to the near death. And that is exactly what we saw here. Like both guys got all the pomp and circumstance of their entrance and then that was it. It was a fight to the death. It was a desperate, bloody, violent, incredibly technical despite all this, match to the death. Because that's how much your mask means to you. And as you said, there was so much on the line on this. There was so many different emotions running throughout. There was so much desperation. And everyone by now has to have seen, like, the shots of a bloody pentagon with a ripped mask holding up, like, his newly gained trophy, looking somewhere between a horror movie villain and the most triumphant warrior we'll ever see. And that's exactly 
how this match felt almost at times it was a horror movie a lot of it it was just a battle of wits and wills and bloody broken arms there's just there's so much to it and it doesn't feel like 25 and a half minutes it is just a continuous roller coaster with so many submissions so many like broken limbs so much blood it's it's incredible like i love this match like people love to dunk on pentagon for some reason like i'll never understand why because it's like ray phoenix is there for spots pentagons for like character and violence and it's just that's what you want from like a tag team anyway point back on point like pentagon is a main event star and this just shows it because he got the torch passed to him by one of arguably like the Villano family's best representatives and what more can you ask for in terms of honors hell apparently tony khan was watching this show as well because like pentagon's getting a shot at moxley or is challenged for it anyway so who knows what could happen because of this match like it was awesome it looked amazing it flowed amazingly oh, i'm pretty sure moxley's not losing that title to pentagon but it'd be nice <laughs> sorry john oh, just, just think what pentagon and mox could pull off here like they they're could both do just they're big guys that like to fight like true and there's also the point of like you know the 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 their characters have intertwined a lot because Moxley tagged with Lucha Bros a lot when he came in, you know, into the company, and it's there's there's so much crossover you can do with it. And Pentagon's such a cool character, and and I I don't think they've quite lived the Lucha Bros haven't quite lived up to their potential in AEW. Say the way they did in Impact. They were, in, they were in Impact for 18 months and they did everything. They won the tag team titles, they won, they broke up, they feuded, they won the world championship and lost the world championship to each other and then moved on. <laughs> There's like an 18 month of arc of them doing everything in the company, you know. Um, the only and, thing that stops them really is the language barrier because they don't even, use, then again, no, we had Sheeta. Yeah. And and uh, the, the Impact Wrestling have put faith in them to put the championships on them, so why not AEW? You know, I mean, I understand AEW are going to take the time because they've got a lot more toys to play with. Um, but yeah, I would really like to see a single spot championship on either Pentagon or Ray Phoenix because they can both do it. They're both capable workers in that particular style, and there's plenty of people they can have great matches with, in my opinion. Pentagon had people unglued here for mm. so much of that match. It's like you're watching people get up out of their seats for what is at its core an abdominal stretch. And it's just <laughs> like when's the last time you saw someone outside of like a proper technical match getting that worked up over what is a core submission move? You also yeah, it's all you about also... presentation. And Pentagon just understands everything there is to do with presentation. As well. I mean, so you also sort of say Villano Ford does as well. You know, it's like I mean, his patience in this particular match and the things he went with. Um, 
his ability to make Pentagon look amazing as well was just clearly a show in this match. You also understand, like, Mexican fans don't react the way, say, American fans do to moves and stuff. There's a constant buzz of noise from the audience because they're into it in a different way and their culture isn't to, like, their culture is to be loud and get louder as opposed to American fans will be quiet and pop for something big. And so it's it it was it's just constant noise and emotion and reaction and gasps, especially when Pontigan like popped up out of a pinfall or you know, it, it just was a roller coaster ride. And this is what makes great wrestling, isn't it? It's one once he locked Villano's own move on him, everyone just lost it. And it was just like, holy shit, he just did that. There's <laughs> just oh. oh my god. These two just got it. Like there was an assignment and they just got it. It, I think that's it. This is how you steal a show. This is how you end something special. I think that's probably where we're going to end our podcast for today. But let's think about this. AAA, 30 years in the industry. They've kind of changed the way we think about Lucha Libre. They've always kind of been a bit derivative of the things that have gone on around them in the sense of you know, they were the first to bring hardcore wrestling to to Mexico in that sense. They copied an awful lot of what ECW did. They've kind of relied on big name stars from time to time compared to CMLL, who kind of plodded along doing the thing they've always done. But CMLL, you kind of expect them to do because they're the conservative company. Um, so AAA have done an incredible job of being the alternative. What's your thoughts on the 30th anniversary of Triple Mania, John? I'm glad AAA exists. I bloody love them. Like every time I watch them, I enjoy them. They they are the clusterfuck company to me. Like sure they started off as they started off trying to be an alternate, like an alternate company, and they've they've evolved so much through thick, thin, good, bad, and they are one of the core two companies for pretty much every wrestler. Like, everyone wants to do at least one show with AAA because it's an experience. Like, (laughs) they are not afraid to be weird, convoluted, derivative, dumb as fuck. But you will always get great results from them because their roster is just that damn good. Like, I hope there's 30 more years at least. Just because who knows what weird shit we will see. (laughs) <laughs> yeah we're going to be here in 30 years time looking at Triple Mania 60 anyway thank you very much for listening to the Troopany show today John's an exceptional writer and he has a Patreon where can we find it John uh, that is Deathmatch Digest on Patreon you will get twice weekly Deathmatch writings plus a whole bunch of freebies and extras when time permits and obviously check out John Deathman on Twitter that is the gateway to hell to like opinion rambling central Ah, you can find me at Sheriff Lone Star on my Twitter. You can mainly see me tweeting about the state of the modern-day Conservative Party whilst giggling in a corner. Uh, you can also find the Troopany Show on Twitter. You can find this on Facebook as well. And you can find us on Patreon. We can keep the Troopany Show free forever for everyone. Greatly appreciated to your listening today. We'll be back next week. We haven't decided what we're looking at next week. We probably should get back to Japan because that's kind of our bread and butter. And there was a big Noah show today, but there's a big Noah show next weekend because the lads from New Japan are off over for a bit of a bit of a bash uh, to celebrate their uh, ex-bro Muto as he has one of his final matches. 
Um, and in the meantime, we'll speak to you soon. Take care. Bye. Buy lettuce because a lettuce beetle is trust. <laughs> Campeón